This is the Champagne and Socks podcast. I'm Elisa. A couple of weeks ago, I actually wondered if I was going to really have enough material to continue one podcast a week on my garden. And then on the weekend, I found myself at Bunnings, hoping to grab some extra plants that I need to fill in the spaces that I haven't yet finished planting in the garden plan that I've got. And I grabbed some strawberry plants and a couple of chili plants. And I thought, yeah, I'm actually going to be fine. <laughs> this week, I had a couple of wins, I guess. As you might have seen on Facebook, if you know me on Facebook, frogs are in my garden. I actually hate frogs. I don't like that they jump unexpectedly in any direction. And that could be on you. And they look wet and slimy. And I don't want to be touched by a frog. I used to live in a place that was just on the other side of a park that had a wetland at the far end of the park. And I had a few frogs inside my house during the dry, hot summer looking for water, but they were gross and they were large. And I had quite a big dog who was not interested in dealing with that problem. And so after that, I've kind of got a fear of having frogs in my house. But frogs are awesome creatures. They are the canary of our environmental landscapes. They are actually really, really interesting. Frogs are the first creatures to go or to let you know that you have a problem in an environment or that an environment is fragile. They are the animals that we're studying when we look at climate change and when we look at vulnerability of long-term sustainability of particular environmental habitats. Frogs are really really fascinating they come in all kinds of shapes and colors and they have really really interesting distribution of habitat niches I just don't want them to jump on me that's it that's all Monday night my husband said to me wow we never used to have frogs in our backyard and I admit I'd been kind of trying to pretend that they were crickets they're not crickets I hopped online and matched the call with the frog species and we're pretty sure that we have tree frogs in our backyard a couple they just start calling out just after sundown just after dusk and they call for maybe an hour or two and then they're quiet and I mentioned this on Facebook because it's kind of funny I used to work in the wetland section at Department of Environment and I'm an engineer so I really like the intellectual concept of frogs at my desk inside an office and I worked with a ton of uh, scientists and the reason I'm an engineer and not a scientist is obvious right and they would all be all like frogs are awesome they'd bring in frogs they'd be like seeing frogs in the field I didn't even want to see the photos of their frogs in the field it was a thing I don't like frogs so I thought it would really amuse them that I'd ended up planting all this stuff in my backyard and I'd brought frogs to my back door my friend Jackie, who designed my plan for me, said to me, well, that then proves that this was palace plain. So we've been having an ongoing discussion with the coastal nursery guy who says that this is coastal area and that I should only be planting coastal plants. Nothing else will survive in my backyard. But when Jackie and I had looked on the old mapping for the area before there was development, there were a sprinkling of wetlands through this area and I'm pretty sure that our block was wetland. And so we did some soil distribution research. Jackie decided to do like a mix between coastal and wetland and so the plants are a mix between coastal and wetland and that's why the coastal nursery guy isn't liking some of the plants that I want to put in. 
and Jackie saying, well, there are frogs there. That means that it was wetland. And the kind of wetland that it would have been is Palace Plain. Palace Plain is flat and the area just inundates with groundwater, table rise during winter as it rains. So that gives us hope that the wetlandy plants will find wet feet in their roots eventually. And we won't know that until winter actually happens That actually got me really, really excited because that means I've rehabilitated or I'm in the process of rehabilitating completely cleared area back to wetlandish. And that actually feels like it was something on my bucket list. I'm pretty sure, and I have to go and get my actual bucket list, I wrote it more than 10 years ago, that I wanted to rehabilitate something back to, probably it was, you know, my idea would have been to rehabilitate it back, but you're never going to be able to rehabilitate it back to pristine. And obviously we've still got weeds all the way through our backyard and all we've done is plant plants and we've planted what we think might have been here but not proper distributions of a mix of all the different kinds of plants that should be here. But it still suddenly felt really, really exciting to be doing something so positive, at least for bringing back animals as well as plants. So I'm excited about the frogs, but the other thing is I've seen the first butterfly in my backyard, which I never realised that I had never seen butterflies till I saw one. Yesterday I saw a little bit fancier moth than we normally get around here. There are definitely more invertebrates and a lot more insects because when you walk through the mulch, you kick up different jumpy things, and that's new. And birds. I didn't even notice that we'd never had birds in our backyard, but suddenly they're coming in and swooping and swooping out, and I realised how dead that we weren't joking when we said it was a barren wasteland. We were actually being quite truthful. Bees were the only thing plus flies that we really had, probably cockroaches and stuff too. So I kept the lavender. That's not really endemic. It's not really wetlandy, but I kept the lavender for the bees. Maybe when there are other things growing that the bees might be interested in, I might think about taking out the lavender, but I'm really, really cautious to do that. Bees being so fragile at the moment, I didn't really want to mess with that. So that is all really exciting and I suddenly am excited about rehabilitating except that like that's what I took to Jackie. I said I wanted it to be native, I wanted it to be back. It didn't make any sense to put so much effort and money in with reticulation and completely overhauling the soils and trying to make plants grow that really shouldn't grow there. That seemed like so much effort but it never occurred to me that the reverse, putting back what would grow there and what should be there would be a rehabilitation exercise like that had never actually occurred to me my brain processes things differently to other people the other really nerdy thing that I did after that kind of realization was I actually took photos of almost everything in my backyard I'd been trying to take one photo standing at one particular point to get like the full landscape picture because I want to track over time how the backyard grows And I want to run those photos through a video and, you know, do that whole here's how it grew over time. But at the moment, it's really, really, really hard to see everything because I planted a lot of seedlings. It was cheaper and these plants should grow well. So it didn't make sense to buy much bigger plants. That's been kind of disappointing because it's taken so long. The other thing is everything baked in January. It just baked and I got quite disheartened because I was following what I thought were the watering guidelines. 
everybody had been really specific about telling me that these plants only needed water once every three days but everything just dried out the whole thing baked well my paper bark tree turned yellow and then did not look well and that was obvious because paper bugs can sit in standing water quite happily so that was obviously not getting enough water but my eucalyptus silver princess tree all the leaves turned silver and then started falling off and I panicked because that was actually quite a largish tree that I'd put in and I didn't want to lose that that just said that big plants weren't coping very well with the weather And so I changed my water regime. I went to watering twice a day in the really hot, in the 38 to 42 degree weather, and then pulled that back to once a day just through the really hot months and managed to bring back both the paper bark and the silver princess tree. I managed to halt any more of the leaves turning silver on the silver princess tree. And very, very gradually, the tips of the paper bark tree started to green. And I knew, oh, yes, I'm bringing them back from the brink. And so I've continued that and it's taken such a long time. The paper bark tree is almost back to being green. And I found the first sprig of new leaves on the Silver Princess just at the beginning of this week. And that got me excited. That got me back into it. And I've got another eucalyptus tree right at the back of the property, which had been fine, but it hadn't really done anything. And then all of a sudden it started to sprout new leaves all over. And so I started to feel like, okay, I've stopped the decline towards death of the whole backyard, which kind of was really frightening. It was like I'd done so much effort and I'd spent money, but I'd put so much time into this and everything was going to die because it was just too hot. And I put everything in in January because everything grows. It's going to stop growing once we hit winter. And so I wanted to get this backyard going as quickly as possible which is why I put these plants in in the middle of summer and so then I started to say is this plant growing is that plant growing and I started to see new shades of green like no no these are definitely growing but how much are they growing and I'd go back to all my photos that I had taken and I could in no way see what had done what by the photos I'd taken so I'm a scientist and I thought I need photo monitoring so this week I actually went through and took photos both of the full backyard, I did panoramics. The way it is on the plan, there are smaller garden beds, sort of. And so I've taken photos of those and then I've taken individual shots of each plant so that I can properly track growth because that is actually really inspiring when you can see that plants are growing. I'll put photos of at least the paper bark and the silver princess in the show notes. And then I think over time, I hopefully will be able to track a bit more growth. It's just so I can feel like there's progress happening because tiny, tiny seedlings don't really do that much all that quickly. And it's really felt like a lot of those plants, well, I guess they needed to overcome the shock of the baking in the sun. And then they took like a month to then bounce back. And now they've started to just kick in and start growing of course it's March so now I'm a bit worried that by the end of March that'll be it and everything will go into hiatus for winter but it'll probably still be hot here at least in the high 20s for April I'd imagine you've been listening to the champagne and socks podcast a twice weekly podcast of all things craft dropping Tuesdays and Thursdays you can now subscribe via iTunes leave a review if you like Join the craft circle and tell us what you're working on this week. Email me at champagneandsocks at gmail.com or find me on Twitter as Champagne Socks. I'm over on Ravelry as Girly Jones. Also find the Ravelry group, Champagne and Socks. Finally, photos and links for this episode can be found in the show notes at champagneandsocks.com. Speak to you later.